Good morning. I guess it's afternoon at this point as I get around to recording this on this beautiful Sunday. Turned into a, well, I can't say beautiful because guess what? I'm not. I'm not in Rochester as I record this. I am actually hooked up in the vehicle in my Chevy Tahoe and I'm driving my way down to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania for a couple of nights to see my family. I have an aunt and a cousin and uncle and everybody lives in Pittsburgh. Um, and then I have my mom and dad who live in Northeast Ohio, but they're only, they only live about an hour and a half or so. I think maybe two hours tops from Pittsburgh. So they kind of go down there and, and, um, that's where we, we congregate a lot. It, it, it I, when I say we, I use that term loosely because for me personally, it'll actually be my first time going to meet them all there. See, it's my mom's sister, so they, they go somewhat frequently down to Pittsburgh to see each other. Uh, not my first time in Pittsburgh, though. I have been in Pittsburgh a couple of times, actually. I went to Pittsburgh for the first time when I was in college. I had a roommate, Mikey Harold, who was from uh, Pittsburgh. And then also, again, for uh, the famous Scott Brooks, a.k.a. Brooksy, his bachelor party probably roughly 10 years ago went down to Pittsburgh where I did go to their baseball park which I want to see is called I want to say PNC Field anyway that's the crux of our trip this time around too uh Sunday night here tonight just kind of hanging around and then tomorrow um I'm going to see I got to work a little work into here right I'm going to go see our glass manufacturer so actually our glass jars that we put our sauce and stuff in all comes out of Pittsburgh. Um, they don't make the glass in Pittsburgh. They uh, package the glass in Pittsburgh. Want to do some manufacturing talk? Oh, goody, let's do it. Okay, so uh, basically we buy glass jars pre-boxed. And the reason we do that is because we don't have a piece of equipment called a uh, depalletizer. Uh, we also don't have a, I don't know, there's probably a name for it, but a we don't have a thing at the end of our bottling line then that creates a box and drops the jars into the box. So what we have to do is we actually bring the jars in already in a box. We drop those glass jars onto our bottling line and then pass the box to the end of the bottling line where after now they are full and, and capped and cooled down and everything, they get put right back into the same box they came out of. Bigger companies, bigger factories would have a depalletizer, so they would bring pallets in what I call naked, meaning not boxed, just just literally just rows and rows of glass jars that would get pushed onto a bottling line, get filled, and then finally at the end of the line, there would be a spot where they a cardboard tray or a cardboard box would be formed or created or, or dropped in there, and the jars would eventually go in. We are not that fancy. We're getting there. Slowly but surely we'll get there, but we ain't even close at this point. Our bottling line, I don't know if I've ever really talked about it. Uh, there's weird, like, I don't know. Plants are very particular about what type of equipment they run. I'm not that way. We have, at my plant, we have two kettles that are 100 gallons each. And then we also have a third kettle that is roughly like 36 to 40 gallons. And the way we go right now is we rapidly fill those kettles they get they go they go through a hose out of the bottom of the kettle through a I'm not allowed to call it a metal detector um, it provides metal detection 
but it's not actually a metal detector. It is a magnet. So what it does is it, it goes through this hose and goes through a little contraption where if there were to be metal in the sauce somehow, it would pull it out of there and it would stick to this magnet. Anyway, it goes through that magnet. Then it goes through a pump. The pump thrusts it towards a four-headed piston filler in which it gets in line and gets kind of sucked up through this piston and then spit back out down through a nozzle into a jar. It is then immediately capped. We do have a capper machine, although we've been hand capping for a long time because our capper machine is not phenomenal. In fact, we had some guys come in this one time from a plant that was bigger, kind of, you know, or this one guy who's been an engineer consultant, bunch of plants, seen a million cappers, looked at our capper, looked at everything else we had going on. And, you know, we're small and I'm always shy. And so I said something to him. I'm like, well, what do you think, Terry? You know, and he goes, oh, yeah, it's nice, Paul. Good, great plant. And I said, well, I go, have you seen worse? And he laughs. He goes, oh, of course I've seen worse. Of course. Then he pauses for a second. He looks at me. He goes, well, I don't think I've seen a worse capper. But I've seen work, you know. <laughs> so our capper's not great, and we, we bypass it now. We basically hand cap. Jar then gets capped, goes through a uh, what we call a shrink tunnel. So this is only applicable for some jars. Think like a barbecue sauce bottle where there is a, a, a skinny top. You know, the bottle is round, but then it kind of comes up into a almost like a decanter or a ring neck style where it's got a skinnier top where a cap sits in those cases you would put a tamper evident shrink band around those because also we use plastic uh, 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 caps there now for like pasta bottles and stuff that doesn't matter but um, it goes through a little shrink tunnel so that will then shrink that uh, neck band onto the bottle comes around a corner and then goes through a coder inkjet coder it's going to spit a little expiration date onto the bottle then the coder to the labeler uh, labeler to a gathering table where a human being will then pick the jars up by hand and place them on a baking rack wire rack which then gets wheeled into a cooling tunnel which is blowing cold air around and getting all that sauce from roughly 200 degrees where we bottle it down to we're trying to get down to about 115 ideally about 100 but at least about 115 before we finally package it so it comes out of that cooling tunnel where it finally gets run through one last machine called a tap tone also known as a dud detector it's basically a machine that is just testing the caps on the jars to make sure that they are properly adhered so that we are not getting popped lids and then into a box and palletized that's it that's our bottling line that's how we do it at craft cannery <laughs> automated sure but if you went to the big plants you would look at what we do and you would say well this is only semi-automated a lot of human beings involved and also we're very low speed i think i counted on friday we were moving at about 18 bottles per minute uh we're capable of doing more like 24 apparently our equipment can go all the way up to 30 i don't know that we've ever actually been that high but so, no podcast last week. I came down with COVID. My wife actually, to, let's rewind all the bit, way back to 4th of July. 4th of July, we get together. We go down to Canandaigua Lake uh, where my my brother-in-law and his girlfriend live. 
near the lake there at a park. God, I would know it if I heard it, but it's that park that's like right in front of Young Lion Brewing, you know? They live right right near that park, so they go down, they get a spot um, at the park. And, uh, of course, by the time we get there, because we go to the Fairport Fourth of July Festival, where I literally still have a bag of candy in my passenger seat here from that. I'm going to eat some Tootsie Rolls probably as soon as we hang up from this podcast. But uh, we, we go down to... Um, we go down to Canandaigua. By the time we get there, it's about noon after the parade, right? And, you know, there is nowhere to park. And and I got to tell you the truth. This is one way in which I am just an absolute spoiled brat. And I hate this about myself because I can hear how uncool this makes me. Not only uncool, but how just prissy this makes me and how this just makes me such a such an uptight and um, and and uh, uh, privileged jerk. But at the end of the day, if I can't park next to it, I've lost interest in going to it. You know what I'm saying? And of course we get down to Canandaigua, and they're like, welcome everybody, welcome. We've got this wonderful park, this beautiful lake. Sorry, we don't have anywhere for you to park, though. You're going to have to just kind of you just see if you can just transport here. Because you can't put your car anywhere. There's nowhere for that. We end up parking illegally behind a gas station on the grass. God, thank God I ended up getting my car back even. I was The whole time I'm nervous. Then, of course, it's a picnic. So we have seven trips worth of shit that we have to bring from our car to the picnic site, which is not even close to where we've parked. It's a quarter mile away, which might not sound that bad, but when you're carrying heavy crap, it's a lot. And so I make a trip. My wife's just kind of giggling at me. I make a second trip. Finally, on the third trip, my father-in-law's like, I'll come help you. There's a third trip. I think there might have even been a fourth trip of just getting crap from the car to the pick. I finally sit down. I'm dripping sweat. And, you know, I haven't eaten because it's 4th of July. We're going to this picnic. Announcement comes. Food will be ready at 2.30, 3 o'clock. It's 12.30. All right? It is 12.30, and I've not eaten. Now I'm hangry. Now I'm just hangry. Now, I will say, the food, once it came, was phenomenal. My brother-in-law sous vide the, the, uh, the ribs, and he did. He marinated some chicken overnight, and he did a really good job with everything because the food was phenomenal. My mother-in-law did all the side salads and stuff like that. Again, phenomenal, just really good. Really, really, really good food once it finally did come. But again, we're busy. And then, of course, something happens where I got to look like a jerk in front of my in-laws. But let me tell you exactly what it is. So we've been invited on the 4th of July to go to the Rochester Red Wings game for fireworks. And the reason we've been invited is because the Rochester Red Wings have a partnership with both the Boys and Girls Club and also Big Brothers Big Sisters of Greater Rochester. I happen to be a former big and a current board member at Big Brothers Big Sisters of Greater Rochester. So we get the invite and we accept. And I tell my wife for day, literally for days we're talking about, okay, we're going to leave Canandaigua at 430 all right, we're leaving Candago at 4.30. This is perfect. This puts us home by 5.15. We shower. We change. We get down to the game, you know, 6.30, whatever. 4.28. 4.28. After we've been talking all day about we're leaving at 4.30. 4.28, my wife decides. Oh, Leo and I are just going to go in the water just for five more minutes. 
Now, again, you might be thinking, oh, come on, Polly. You can't be upset about five minutes. Now, listen, ladies and gentlemen, I know you don't know my wife. I know you don't know my wife. Let me explain to you what five minutes is. In my wife's time, five, my wife, first of all, one criticism I have of my wife, and listen, my wife is as close to perfect as they get. She's beautiful, she's intelligent, she's sweet, she's out of my league, and I get that. And I don't want to be, I don't want to appear that I don't understand that my wife's out of my league. I understand what I am, what I look like, and, 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 and you know, the, my lack of uh, attractive personality. <laughs> or any attractive assets whatsoever. And I understand what I landed in life. So I know my role here. But I will say, if there's anything my wife's not good at, well, I can think of two things. One is geography. She's not great with geography. But two is time management. My wife is not good at time management. My wife has been known to say things like, oh, um, it's 1130 in the morning or something. And uh, we'll be like, uh, let's go to lunch. And she'll say, great, let's go to lunch. I need to be done with lunch by 1230. I just need to run to Fairport and back, though, to grab my laptop. And then I'll come to lunch. And then I have to be done at 1230. And and me just in my head, just doing the math, going, that's not going to... You're going to get to lunch at 1230. At best... Full of those kinds of things. Timing just not working out, right? Like, she just always... Ryan operates on this, like, time continuum where she just always thinks there's more time than there actually is. And and so often, too, I've had so many little moments of triumph, too, where we'll do things according to the timing that I've set out, and we end up being on time or early for things, and she always will look at me and go, Oh, yeah, you were right. We should have left it, too. Oh my god, I was thinking for sure we'd be good if we left at 3. And I'm just like, what? To get to Buffalo by 3.30? You thought we'd leave at 3? Like, that's what I'm talking about. So at 4.28 when she announces, I'm going to go swimming. Me and Leo are going to go swimming for 5 minutes. I know how this is ending. This is ending in her never getting out of that water. And me, of course, being the jerk, going, hey, we gotta go. Let's go. Because we're with her family. So her family's going to be like, ugh, ugh. Look at Polly trying to drag her away from her family. Meanwhile, it's been days we've been talking about. We're leaving at 4.30. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you guessed it. At 4.48, I finally say to the people I'm sitting in, and I go, you know, I get that, 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 that that's your uh, sister and daughter. And I, and I mean to come off with all respect here. But it has been 20 minutes, and she is showing no sign of being ready to go. And we said we were leaving at 4.30. And, and by the way, she's in the water, which means it's not like she gets out of the water and we just hop in the car and get going, right? Nope. So finally, at like 4.53, I get up and I just go, well, here it goes. You know, now I got to be the jerk. So I stand up and I go, hey, Ryan, it is 4.53. We are 23 minutes late. I will go get the car and I will pick you up right here as close as I can possibly get to where we're camping out here uh, it's 4.53 right now I will be in that spot at 5 o'clock please if you love me meet me at that spot at 5 o'clock I go get the car I come back she's nowhere to be found it's 5 o'clock she calls me she's in a different spot than the one we talked about it's fine what are you talking about it's fine it's fine game doesn't start till 6.45 and it's 5 and we're just now leaving Canandaigua we're fine. We'll be home at 545. 
We'll shower. We'll get down to the game. It's fine. I'm going, fine. I guess it's fine. But, you know, all the festivities are before the game. Like, all the fun is before the game, you know. But maybe she's right. It's been a long day. We'll get down to the game. If we want the little guy to stay up for the fireworks, we're probably going to have to. So anyway, we get to the game. As soon as we get to the game, poor Ryan sits down. She doesn't feel good. Now, at first, I'm just thinking, well, it's been a long day. It's hot out. She's tired, you know. She's not feeling good. Eventually, though, a few innings in, she's kind of telling me, she's going, look, I really don't feel good. Can we go home? And, of course, at this point, it's become real. So I'm like, oh, yes, of course, we can go home. So we go home. And uh, and she doesn't feel good. She goes right to bed, wakes up next. Well, I wake up before her. So I wake up the next day. I go to work. A few hours into the day, I start getting the phone call from her going, I'm not feeling well. I feel really sick. And I'm going, oh, no, my God, you know. Uh, do you need me to come home? She's saying, not yet, but, you know, I don't feel good. So, um, a couple out, more hours go by, and she texts me and she says, I thought we might have some COVID tests left. So I took a COVID test, and it's positive. And I'm going, oh, man. Uh, and here's the thing. I deserve this because just a few weeks prior... I had done a little private rant to my wife where I had talked about how whatever happened to COVID, it's been six months since I heard of anyone getting COVID, and all of a sudden, she's got COVID. So plans drastically change. I got to come home. No more babysitters allowed in the house. I got a a son to take care of. Nobody wants to be near us because of the COVID thing. Thursday and Friday come and go. Leo and I actually have pretty fun days on. I'm not going to lie. We had some fun boys days there. But nonetheless, tough days. You know, I'm juggling owning a business. I'm juggling having a, a, a child full-time and a sick wife at home whom I'm trying to take care of. Uh, making her her meals. I'm getting her medicines. Taking care of my son. And trying to run a business all at the same time. Very stressed out. Friday ago, I set up for the Cornell Festival. Friday night, I'm on my way to pick Leo up from my mother-in-law's because she watched him while I was setting up for the Cornell Festival. And I get the same first symptom I had. The first time I got COVID, I get the chills. Just out of nowhere, I just, in my car driving, I just, I'm freezing cold for a brief moment. Just a, you know, the chills. And I'm going, oh, shit. And I just got a faint little headache going. And I thought I was exhausted, but I thought it was because I had just spent a couple hours busting my ass in the really, really hot heat trying to get out of Cornhill Festival. Sure enough, go to bed, wake up, pounding headache, stuffy face, take a test. Your boy is positive for COVID. And I felt like shit. Now, I had three bouts with COVID, including this one we're talking about right now. Just I just had my very first one, which was early 2020, which was terrible. I mean, I felt like I was going to die for three days. My second one, which was a breeze, which was, um, uh, I never even felt a single symptom. I think maybe I had a stuffy nose for a day. And then this one, which was somewhere in between, this was like two days of feeling pretty sick. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that I was like unbearably sick by any means. Uh, but even though I wasn't unbearably sick, I had a pounding headache the whole time. And honestly, when you just have a pounding headache... Non-stop. It's very debilitating. 
So I didn't really have the ability to do much for a couple of days. And then, of course, testing positive for COVID. Now you've got the responsible human side where you're going, well, I can't I can't go places. You know, I can't go to work. I can't go to the store. I'm going to. So I did. I, I stayed in my house for five days. That was the doctor recommendation. <laughs> and then I was back and back at it late last week. But last Sunday, the reason I didn't do a podcast is because I was really not feeling it, man. By the time it came, Sunday came around. It was like I I didn't have it in me to do the uh, to do the podcast. I really didn't. You know, it was probably two full days of of just pounding headache, which, like I said, was debilitating. And then Monday kind of came around a bit. Tuesday, Wednesday, which was my days four and five, uh, I had I felt fine. Like I, I kind of came back around. I felt fine. Maybe I would say both days maybe late at night when I would start to get tired and like fatigued I would feel just a little bit sick but then Thursday Friday's been and Saturday's been fine I guess today today's my day nine there is you know the the last like CDC recommendation was you're supposed to wear a mask on days six through ten I wore a mask to work I I don't know if I'm gonna wear a mask like around my family right now I guess I should probably figure that out I guess I should ask them what they think I'll ask them what they think. Anyway, it's interesting. Interesting. No longer a pandemic. There's no more, like, official guidelines. There's some CDC stuff, but really hasn't changed in a while. So that's me. That's what I've been up to. My son, cutest little boy in the world. Just amazing. Just, uh, you know, on one of those days before I got sick, but when my wife was sick, he got his Hot Wheels out, and he was popping wheelies, and he went backwards and hit his head on the driveway, and course happening on my watch my wife confined to her bedroom she's just screaming at me from the bedroom what's happening what's happening and then I'm looking at him and I'm going you're okay buddy right and like he cried for a while but then he was fine I'm looking at him going you're okay buddy you're okay meanwhile I'm looking at his eyes I'm like are you concussed buddy you okay like that is such a thing I think all I I talked to a lot of parents about all parents have been in that spot before where they're going they're going are you concussed (laughs) My my child, my sweet child. Maybe we're not going to fall asleep, and of course it happened late at night. So, but yeah, back at it, man. On my way down to Pittsburgh, going to see my family. I'll be at the Pirates Guardians game tomorrow night at PNC Park. And uh, uh, oh, one more thing, I want to shout out this morning. I uh, had the great honor of emceeing um, the uh, Seize the Day a race to benefit epilepsy research. In honor of Armour Armbruster, my good friend Mark Armbruster, fellow Rotarian, uh, he and his wife, um, Mark and Nipa, they have three beautiful children, Omar, Amr, and Nyla Armbruster. All five of them ran in the race today. How about this for badassery, right? How about Omar, who's the oldest child, and I'm not 100% sure how old he is, but I'm going to guess he's like late high school, maybe like 11th, 12th grade, probably somewhere in there. Um, he ran the 5K this morning. I'm sorry, the 10K. Excuse me. He ran the 10K this morning. It was a 10K and a 5K, and they had a one-mile fun run, too. This kid runs the 10K just as a scouting run for the actual competition. He runs it, kind of jogs it, just so that when the actual 10K competition comes around, he's ready to rock. How about that for badassery? This kid ran two 10Ks a couple hours apart from each other. At that point, you know, because I think a a marathon is like, what, 26K or something like that? Just run six more Ks. 
right? <laughs> Run six, knock out six more Ks, call it a marathon. <laughs> it's never been, it's never been. And in my life, I've gotten in and out of taking fitness seriously. And I've spent, you know, a pretty significant amount of time, um, amount of time out right now, but um, spent some time in my life really taking fitness very seriously, long periods of years in my uh, late teens, all throughout my 20s and stuff. Mostly took my 30s off, see how my 40s go, but um, never even ever when I was at my peak of loving it, loving being physically fit and working out, never did I like running, never. It has never broken through for my brain that running is cool. Not one time. Not one single time. Peak physical condition. I would say for me, I was probably 20 years old, college football, John Carroll, really taking fitness seriously, watching what I was eating, uh, uh, benching well over 300, you know, just just tearing it up. People were, were coming to me for fitness advice. Even then, running was a freaking nightmare just don't get it i don't get running it doesn't work for me it has never worked in my head that run you know just hasn't anyway all right thank you for listening i appreciate you very much i hope you're having a good one i hope you're finding love out there in the world i hope you are i wish you the best of luck in finding love here's what i think though i know somebody recently who talked to me about being single and feeling and i hate to say it but feeling lonely Excuse me. Excuse me. Oh, I have a I have a Starbucks latte here. Hold on a second. Let me take a take a sip of Rooney. And this person was kind of this person's very outward on social media. Um, that she is uh, very happy to be single, and um, but she kind of expressed to me recently. She said, "Yeah, but I'm a little bit lonely. You know, I wish I had a boyfriend." She said, uh, "And she's young. I think she's probably." in her late, I'm going to say mid to late 20s, I'm not 100% sure, but a little bit younger. But mid to late 20s, depending on how you look at it in life, in some ways mid to late 20s is very, very young, but in some ways, look, it's not that young. I mean, you know, you want to get married and have family? You know, it's it's not that young or unrealistic to be doing that in your mid to late 20s. So I get it. I get where she would be coming from and saying she's lonely. But she was also telling me at the same time she's lonely, she absolutely loves being single. And so we were talking about, you know, how our personalities are just strange. And I actually started the conversation because I was talking about how in therapy, I uh, have gone over recently in therapy how it doesn't make any sense that I am a very anxious person. I'm full of anxiety, but I'm also a risk taker, right? If you look at my life, you'll see many times I've taken risks. I mean, starting a business itself, right? That's a risk. Moving to a city where you don't know anybody. I've done that twice in my life one time where I didn't even know the language where I was moving, right? I am not afraid of risk, yet I'm anxiety-ridden. How is that possible that those two things exist? Well, I was kind of doing that rant to this girl because she's a young business owner, and she's telling me, she's going, I feel the same way about my love life. She's going, I love being single, love, love, love being single, but I'm lonely and I want a boyfriend. How are both of those things possible at the same time? And I told her, I get it. I do get that. And here's what I would say to her, and this is what I did say to her, and I would say to anybody else. It's so corny. It is such corny advice. So unbelievably corny that I feel, uh, I, I, I cringe even saying it. But if you can love yourself and the life you're living, just love that. Good things, I think, will come.
whether it's the boyfriend comes along or whether the boyfriend doesn't come along and you just live a, a single life where you are thriving. Either way, it, it it's so much easier if you're able to be in a position where you love the life you're living. And I have been very lucky, I feel, in the last few years to be in a position where I love the life I'm living. I love the people I'm living it with. I love my wife. I love my son. I love my friends. I love my my worker, my, my people who I work with. I love what I do. I love everything about it. All aspects of my life. I'm a very happy person right now. Very, very happy. Um, and it, it, it feels like having cracked the code to life in a corny way. Again, corny, I know. Very corny, but it feels like having cracked the code to life. And this girl was was telling me she experiences the same thing. <laughs> right? She is single and loving it and loving her life and loving her, her business that she started and she's having some success and that's great and everything. And I, I just think that um, we shouldn't put love on a pedestal, right? And I think that it, it's okay to just do whatever you want to do and be whoever you want to do. Be whoever you want to be. You want to be single? Be single. You want to be in a relationship? Be in a relationship. You want to just kind of mess around and go on. This is where I'm going to kind of out myself here for not knowing. Is it Tinder? I know it's not TikTok because I know what that is. What's the one where you just swipe right and swipe left and maybe it's just a booty call? Guess what? Booty call's okay. I don't think there's anything wrong with a booty call. I mean, obviously, if you're single. <laughs> Speaking of that, while I had my um, COVID, I watched some documentaries. And one of the documentaries I watched was the Ashley Madison website. Do you remember that? Ashley Madison is the website that catered to people looking to have an affair and it blew up and had a couple of really big years making hundreds of millions of dollars but then there were lawsuits and of course it got hacked but the lawsuits had to do with the fact that of the of the profiles and I don't remember how many there were but there was something like like two to four percent two three or four percent something like that were actual real females and the other like 96 percent were men and so Ashley Madison got sued because they were making up fake female profiles because obviously that wasn't going to go very well or very far if uh, everybody on there was male. Um, also, though, they got hacked and a bunch of their users' information got leaked onto the Internet. And uh, it's really a pretty good documentary, but terrible ending, though, because once it got hacked, you know, there's a couple people in there who ended up committing suicide, doing harm to themselves because they were exposed as having registered on Ashley Madison's website. What else did I watch, by the way? Now we're into this. Let's talk about what else I watch. You know what else I watch? White Lotus. Finally, why I just said, you know what? I'm stuck in bed. I'm just going to sit here and watch White Lotus. And I did. And uh, the first season, you know, two or three episodes in, I'm kind of telling my wife, I'm like, I don't really get it. I don't know why this show is any good. I got it by the end. And even at the end, she's going, what's it about? And I was like, it's not, I don't, it's not, not really about anything. It's kind of about... The first season, at least, is kind of about rich people on vacation and the subtly mean things that they do to each other. Does that make any sense? I think that's what... The second season, there was some more sort of plot, more traditional kind of TV drama plot going on. But even that 
kept that same kind of season one energy. So I liked White Lotus a lot. I would recommend that. The Ashley Madison documentary I watched too. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I watch. Oh, and I watched one other one too, the Jared Fogel documentary, which uh, is the the Subway guy. Remember how he got brought down? That's a fascinating one too. So a lot of true crime, you know. All right, I think that's it for the podcast. I love you. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening, and let's do this next week, okay? Bye-bye.